the true origin of gin, elevating mezcal, and a shot in your coffee at 9 a.m. This week, it's all about liqueurs. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we explore the great food and drink from around the world at DestinationEatDrink.com and on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. And this week, it's drinks and cocktails as we explore some liqueurs in Mexico, Costa Rica, Portugal, Italy, and the Netherlands. But first, let me ask you for a favor. If you enjoy Destination Eat Drink, could you support us with a small contribution? Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Contribute button, and thank you so very much. Well, we're into the holiday season, so I thought now would be a good time to revisit some of my favorite conversations about liqueurs. After all, what's better on a winter evening than a nice spirit, maybe as a cocktail or maybe something straight that's infused with some nice aromatics? So this week, we travel to Central America and Europe for some tasty tipples like a smoky liqueur that's become super trendy, a spirit where quality isn't of the utmost concern, and some delicious gin, ginginia, and genziana. Destination, eat, drink. Maria Itaka is a food writer and owner of the TV production house Serena Poligro. She talks about mezcal and its transformation from a peasant drink to a high-class liqueur. We're, we're on agave now. And that means we've got to talk about mezcal, which is the distilled liqueur from the agave plant. Talk a little bit about mezcal. Um, people know about tequila, and tequila is also made from agave, but mezcal's a different uh, character altogether. Um, talk a little bit about mezcal. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it's past 12 where you are, but if you are, maybe you can. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Mezcal o'clock. <laughs> um, here is 11, so um, I won't. <laughs> uh, you can wait, Maria. I I'm can going wait. for I, it. <laughs> I can definitely wait. Um, well, you know, Mezcal basically is tequila or the other way around. Tequila is a mezcal because mezcal is a drink that is uh, distilled from the agave, basically. That's a mezcal. The difference between tequila and mezcal is the kind of agave you use. So while tequila, you, when strictly speaking and theoretically speaking, tequila is only uh, produced or made with one kind of agave, which is the blue agave found in Jalisco area. Mezcal, on the other hand, can be made with many different agaves, many different wild agaves. So to learn more about mezcal, you need to learn more about the variety of agaves that we have in Oaxaca. And there are some agaves, for example, that need a, a lot of time to be ready to be turned into mezcal, to mature. Uh, some, for example, need up to 25 years to be ready. Oh, wow. uh, yes, it's it's amazing, and the flavor is great. And then you have a more standard agaves that are, you know, easier to 
um, domesticate, but also to find in the fields like espadín uh, that needs seven years only to be ready. So the flavor is very different. The espadín has more sugar. Um, so it's easier to, when you go and have a cocktail, for example, you can, um, you, they will always use espadín because it's cheaper. It, the production and the process of making mezcal with espadín is easier than with uh, the pextate that is the other on the other end of uh, you know 30 25 years to grow so and the flavor changes a lot but uh, let's forget about cocktails just going back to mezcal per se <laughs> um the flavors are very different no espadín or um, other kinds of agave tend to be more sugary, with, whereas other kinds like the pextate that needs 25 years, they are more mineral. And also they're harder to find because they are found in you know, really steep uh, landscapes, really rocky areas full of uh, flowers and small herbs and rocks. So of course the flavor of this agave is, is closer to that you know, to that landscape. And espadín grows uh, in flat fields. So it has different flavors. And that's the, the world of mezcal. It needs um, a whole book about, about it because the flavors is just, they're too different. I feel like in the last several years, mezcal has undergone this transformation in the public perception here in the United States. Whereas, you know, it used to be more of a, a shot and, you know, getting drunk drink. Whereas now you go into um, fancy bars and they'll have mezcal tastings of several different kinds of mezcal. How was mezcal viewed in Oaxaca? It has undergone a similar process here too. I remember when I was younger and I would go with some friends to have, you know, a drink in a bar Mezcal for us was like, no, this is just for, you know, alcoholic people, you know, or <laughs> right. yeah, you need, yeah, this is like for really heavyweight in alcohol drinking and, or we associated mezcal more with people from the villages, no, peasant, mm. a peasant drink, no, for, sorry, village holidays and, you know, farm life. And some people in other parts of Mexico, even from Mexico City, for example, look down on mezcal like, oh, this is the cheap drink. We want other kinds of drinks. Uh, I remember the price of mezcal even has changed so much. When I was 20, um, it, you know, to have a shot of mezcal, maybe um, 20 pesos. And now mm. if wow. you go to a restaurant, it could be up to two, 200 pesos. Oh, ten dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well, there. You know, it's it's high. It's high class mezcal now. Oh yes, it is, and in, and it depends really on the kind of agave that you're ordering. For example, if you go and order a shot of uh, espadín, you can find espadín for maybe 60, 70 pesos. But if you want a tepextate, that is the very big one that I told you. You can find a spadin shot for up to 400 pesos sometimes. Adriana Font is a foodie tour guide in Costa Rica. She tells me about a liqueur called casica and why you wouldn't necessarily need it to be of the highest quality. Are there any local drinks or local liqueurs that I should be sure and try in Costa Rica and San Jose? 
Yes, we have cacique. It's our traditional uh, liquor made from sugar cane. It's it's like a vodka, but like the the, the way it looks and it's a, it's a clear uh, alcohol and it's very similar to to cacique, I mean to vodka. The cacique can be used in everything. So that's why it's special. It's not a super great quality liquor. It's very like um, basic, but when you prepare cocktails and mix it with other things, you don't need a high quality liquor because then you're because <laughs> you know? you're tasting so, all this wonderful fresh fruit and other things. Yes, like the last the last thing you will taste is the liquor. So that's why I we don't believe in preparing cocktails with super quality liquors. But um, cacique is super good for that. I mean, first it's very cheap <laughs> and it's very novel and. It goes well with everything. Mm. We have sour drinks. We have one that is very similar to a Bloody Mary. We call it Chili Guaru. And it has tomato juice and it has some spicy like cayenne. It has sometimes some herbs. Every every, uh, restaurant has its own recipe. Sometimes have uh, red pepper or roasted red pepper. And it goes with cacique and with a little bit of salt. But the variations from from bar to bar are are crazy, are very creative. <laughs> so you must try them. <laughs> Rob Rose is the creator and host of Raw Travel. The TV show is in its 10th season, which is out now. We sat outside at a cafe near the Sao George Castle in Lisbon talking about having shots of Ginginha that very morning. Just the view itself, there was a gentleman there playing guitar. And again, I had one of those surreal moments where I look around and be like, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. This is so awesome. And right. I'm so happy to be here. And who cares if I film an episode or anything gets put in the can? I wouldn't trade this moment for anything. It's a beautiful moment in time, uh, whether you're in Lisbon or Madeira, wherever you are in the world, when you're like, I don't want to be anywhere but here doing this right now. Because that's a rare moment for me. I'm always thinking about where am I going? What am I going to do next? And if I'm having a rough time, I try to think about where I've been or where I would like to be going. Would I like to be traveling in Central Asia or whatever? But at that moment in time in Lisbon, overlooking um, the outlook, the middle daughter, the overlook, um, that was where I wanted to be. Didn't want to be anywhere else. Something very Zen about that, right? Yeah, very much so, man. And I think that's maybe why I travel, man. We're just trying to find those moments. I don't think, perhaps it's possible to hold on to those moments, but my, my instinct is that it isn't. At, at best, you can find as many as possible to string together uh, moments of your life. And maybe people live with more moments than others. I do believe that more, more people have those moments than others because they're open to it and they've, they've made the effort to get those. Um, but you know, they're fleeting. So the key is to let them fuel you through the inevitable hardships that is coming your way because life is pain. Pain is life. They're one and the same. You can't have a mountain without a valley. And that's what travel has taught me, man. And so when you're on that mountain, man, enjoy it. You know. I would like to say that uh, we had one of those cool experiences this morning when you and I met. We, we were, we were going to meet at, like at your apartment because you and I, we haven't met in person before. We've right. spoken over, over Zoom. Um, and we were walking up the street and Karen, Karen goes, that's Rob. And you were right there. <laughs> and we met in, in, uh, in Lisbon. And then 
we're like, all right, let's go find a cafe. We can we can hang out. We can have a coffee and whatever. And we saw a, a, an old lady, a grandmotherly type lady, and she was selling the uh, cherry liqueur Ginginia from the front of her apartment. It wasn't a shop. It wasn't a store. It wasn't even a kiosk. She opened her front door. She had a little table out there. She had a couple bottles sitting on the table. And she had a sign that said, Ginginia, one euro. And I said, you want to do it, Rob? And you're like, yeah, let's go do it, man. Right, right. Yeah, and, and unbeknownst to you, it was on my list to do today because I didn't do it at first. I was like, oh, I'll do it later. But I was jet lagged. I didn't want to drink. I wanted to sleep. And uh, didn't want alcohol to get in the way of it, though it's pretty mild because it was in the morning and we did it. And I was like, oh, that's better than coffee, man. Right. But that experience of doing that, I just met you guys. Um, and then we're talking to her. She was the sweetest lady in the world. Just incredibly sweet. Was shaking a little bit. And she handed us to Ginginia and it spilled a little bit. And she was so apologetic. And I was like, hey, can I film? Can I take a photo? She's like, yes, yes. And then I thought she was saying, oh, don't photo my house the interior and i was like oh don't worry we're not going to do that she was saying please photo yeah my house she was proud of her house she was so proud of her house and we got to say it was decorated beautifully it was it was she wanted us to see it as a filmmaker i can tell you that's rare when someone says please film me when that happens i love it because most people are just at this point and i don't blame them averse to the camera they don't want to be on camera they don't know what you're up to and they certainly don't want the interior of their house filmed so it usually comes with rules and regulations. In this lady's instance, it was like, please film, feel free, look at my beautiful Christmas tree. And um, yeah, that was just a great few minutes. And, and I love the fact that we brought more business when a few passers-by saw the hubbub. They were like, oh, this must be good. Let's do that. And so I always tell people, man, we're good for business. Just let us film here, man. Right. We'll have a crowd of people here in five minutes. And it's true, man. She had a line after, as we were leaving, there was yeah. a line waiting for uh, her to sell her Ginginia. Yeah. And I got to help her because she was, I don't know, all of what, four foot ten or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she, she couldn't hang her uh, Merry <laughs> Christmas sign. She had a Merry Christmas sign. She hands was... it to me. She points to the nail. Yeah. I'm like, all right, <laughs> boom. <laughs> you figured it out pretty good. I didn't know what she wanted because I'm like, hang it on the nail and you're like why doesn't she do it and then i realized oh she's only like four foot nine <laughs> she needed to be at least five foot two to do that so i get it peter austin and sammy dunham are british expats living in abruzzo italy they talk about the liqueurs of the region including grappa sambuca and genziana what kind of uh what kind of liqueurs would we enjoy in abruzzo well there's quite a few i um I always just go for a grappa, and I think each uh, grape variety is going to have its own grappa, isn't it? So you'll get some pretty good ones in, in Abruzzo. But of course, there's a lot of um, liqueur, liqueurs, liqueurs people drink there, like um, Genturba is uh, like a powerful uh, medicine, This because it's got so many herbs in it. Uh, there's the Gentiana, isn't there? Is there a saffron one, Sammy? Uh, uh, there must be. Yeah, you can, get, you can get a saffron liqueur. Um, yeah. you can, you can get a nocciola, which is like, um, a green oh, yeah, walnut. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Oh, I love that. That's those. quite nice. That's one of my favorites. I was thinking, when I think of grappa, I think of the Cafe Coretto and, um, but a lot of them have the Amado, don't they, in the, in their coffee, if they want a stiff, uh, drink <laughs> on a cold day. But yeah, there's quite a yeah. few. 
<laughs> there's quite a few uh, spirits. But yeah, I think uh, the Grappa and the Gentiana and the and those ones uh, you said, uh, Gentiana, yeah, and uh, Chanderba are the are the ones the area is known for, really, aren't they? Gentiana as well, because I think Gentiana because because all these digestives are supposed to have a slightly um, medicinal a medicinal effect. So, you know, after eating this much meat on the grill and things, um, you know, it's, it's re- Gentiana's, I don't particularly like the flavor of it, <laughs> but <laughs> it actually is very good for the digestion. I had a very good dessert, a sort of like mousse made with um, Gentiana with um, Ratifa on top, which was incredible in the summer um, and sort of gave me new eyes to it. Um, but yes, it's, it's medicinal. Uh, Sambuca, another one, is not just kept for um, after after dinner. It's drunk in the mornings with coffee, in your coffee. You know, I would go to my neighbours' houses and they would give me coffee and there'd be Sambuca in it at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Get the day off so on the right the foot, day. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not just, it's not just, they're not just kept for after dinner in a book. So, you know, they are at different times probably to to what we're used to having a digestive or something added to your coffee. <laughs> Taish Van Royen is the founder of Amsterdam Food Tours. He tells me about the true origin of gin and the best places to enjoy a Yeniver or gin in the city. You mentioned the uh, Yeniver. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a gin type drink, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, tell me about this. How, how do we enjoy this when we're in Amsterdam? So, yeah, if, if I may correct one thing, uh, because yes. gin is a Dutch invention. It's not British. <laughs> so, <laughs> and obviously, I think in England, they fly, will fly that, fly that Dutch, <laughs> Fly that Dutch flag, Taish, man. Fly it and yes, tell, tell yes, the world. Well, I, 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 yes, but I have to admit, we now and then we have professional cocktail uh, barkeepers, even from England, on our tour. Uh, and I admit that it's true. So uh, I think we can... Uh, <laughs> Put that one on our uh, on our into our game. We'll uh, put that on the Dutch ledger. Uh, yes, exactly. And, and, and it's also where they say where Dutch courage comes from. So the, the whole story behind <laughs> it is that we had we had uh, a Geneva uh, a Geneva in English, um, and we had a war with Spain in the 1500s, and they had a British army who came to help us out. And as supposedly we thought these English lads were were not that brave, not fighting so hard, but we gave them a shot at Geneva. Uh, Geneva and hop off they went into battle and we won uh, and since then we talk about Dutch courage so uh, I'm not sure if it's a true story but it's a good story it's a great story yeah <laughs> it's a great story um, and that's what matters um, so actually we, we have two variations of, of Geneva um, we have old Geneva Audi Geneva and we have young Geneva uh, younger Geneva but uh, it, it does not mean that the old one is matured young one it is the uh, type and the way of making it. And the old way of making it goes back to the Middle Ages when Geneva was like a, uh, yeah, like a medicine, uh, a drink. And it, it was distilled like, like a whiskey. It could even be double distilled from grain uh, with herbs like, like juniper berry, hair, which is the central flavor in uh, both Geneva and gin. Uh, so that's what we call the, the old Geneva. And that is a bit like, like a whiskey. Um, some say it's a bit like a, a complex Kia even um, and you just drink it straight as it is from a glass so you do not mix it 
Yeah, so you, you approach it like drinking a whiskey, uh, as I said. Um, and now we have the, the Jungian Ava, and that is when um, uh, alcohol was uh, mass produced or ethanol. And then if you just add a couple of juniper berries to it, and you know, and you let it flavor a little bit, and you have the Jungian Ava. And that's very harsh. Uh, <laughs> um, you can combine it with a, a good Dutch pint and one glass of Jungian Ava. Uh, we call it a, a head bump. Uh, Kopstoot. Head bump. So you both drink them at once and you're ready for the night. <laughs> um, but that's also actually, it's not something to, to, to mix. So you still drink it as it goes. It is one very gross combination and that's to, to have it with Coca Cola. But that's just, yeah, no, well, don't do that. <laughs> um, so just straight so, a shot, uh, just boom down. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. Correct. So, uh, and then you have some gin types or some Geneva makers who also make Dutch gin. Uh, so the gin scene is, is big in Amsterdam. We have beautiful cocktail bars and gin bars, etc. But then you will find a whole variety of international gin. Would Geneva just be in a regular brown bar or are there bars that are... Um I, I don't know, dedicated strictly to different types of Yenever, and you could go in and have a whole selection of different kinds of, of these uh, drinks. Yeah. So a brown bar will have a selection of Yenever for sure. Uh, and there are a couple of producers, distilleries that still function in Amsterdam that are very famous. There's one in the Jordaan, and they have a beautiful tasting room alongside the Herengracht, if I'm correct. Um, and then you can try all their, uh, uh, gins, but also they make a lot of, uh, uh, other gin style drinks. Um, and then we have one and it's 400 years old and it's really called that way, but it's called fucking, um, <laughs> the fucking it's, distillery. It's a and, Dutch word. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a Dutch word. Yeah. It's a Dutch name. Yeah. So it's F O C K I N G. Uh, it's an uh, honest Dutch name. And, uh, well, it, it, it's, just right next to the red light district. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately. So, uh, appropriate name. Um, and also they, they, they have fantastic, uh, uh, you you can enjoy there in a beautiful environment. Um, uh, people might have heard uh, about a uh, ball, uh, which is uh, an Amsterdam state, uh, 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 distillery. Uh, so you can also go to a uh, ball uh, tasting, for example. So yeah, there, there's more than enough to, uh, to try. Okay, there you go. I just love that Dutch sense of humor. So much fun talking to Taish. So much fun talking to all my guests for that matter. You can get links to all my guests' info as well as full episodes with them on Destination Eat Drink in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED209. Well, that's it for this week. We're back with a brand new show next week. Until then, Get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about one of my favorite phrases in Portugal that you see absolutely everywhere, but in reality, it doesn't mean anything whatsoever. You can read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Volto hyphen Ja. That's V-O-L-T-O hyphen J-A. Or just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the blog tab. And while you're there, if you could... Drop us a couple bucks to help support the show. We are 100% listener supported. So if you can spare it, 
I'd appreciate it. Just click on the Contribute button at DestinationEatDrink.com, and thank you very, very much. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, and a guy who says gin was invented in a bathtub in Chicago, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.